Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. Please turn in your Bible to the text, and the scripture will also be on the screen behind me. Please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come to the site of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Abigus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Um, thanks, Teresa. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to the Parks Church. Uh, we are so glad that, that you're here. And if you're new with us, uh, especially want to welcome you. Uh, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. Uh, 95% of the time as we're preaching through books of the Bible, we actually are uh, just We just finished up a series, a five-week series in January on Whole Life Discipleship Series, and we typically take a, a break in January, but we are back in the book of Acts, and so you want to keep your copy of God's Word open on your lap as we'll walk through uh, Acts chapter 21, the first half today. So we have covered 20 chapters, obviously, in the book of Acts, about uh, 50 sermons uh, to this point, so 50 weeks into the series, and uh, we, we will finish Acts um, Hopefully, Lord willing, before, maybe, maybe before Easter. Don't hold me to that, uh, but uh, maybe before Easter. I just want to remind um, us as, as a church and a community why we do this. Because some of you, maybe, are, again, you're new or you're hearing that. And you're like, 50 weeks, right? Seriously, like a 50-week sermon? Yeah. Um, uh, we, we believe that teaching and preaching through the scriptures like this uh, is, is foundational for two reasons. One, it's formative. It's formative for you and I in that it shows us, hopefully, how to study, study God's word how we approach it, and not just how we approach it individually, but also how we approach it as a community, that we approach this journey of discipleship, right? Not as a sprint, 
but is a marathon. And so some of these uh, larger books like Acts or, or when we went through Matthew or Mark, other, they, they require something longer of us uh, than, than just uh, four or five weeks, okay? And so we, we commit to walking through them faithfully. But also accountability, Right? There, there's accountability in this form and, and, and style of teaching. Right, that, that you trust that we're being obedient to the scriptures and not shrinking back from teaching the whole counsel of the word of God. Right, We're not just as elders teaching what's comfortable to us or what we believe um, is, is, is best suited for us to communicate. We're just simply submitting ourselves and our church to the word of God and going, Holy Spirit, you speak in and through this. And here's what, it, it, what, what has proved itself over the last nine and a half years we've done this is that the spirit has been faithful to speak power time and time again as we faithfully submitted our lives and the church to uh, the scriptures. And so um, here we are making our way through Acts. And so if you have, uh, again, are just joining us or maybe you've slept since uh, December, I want to catch us up to speed real quick on what's going on in Acts. Uh, we're, We're nearing the end of the book. And so what we've walked through with Paul particularly as we'll see in this section, is we've went through all three of his missionary journeys, okay? And so if you have that map, throw it up here. Um, All of the journeys, right, in the green and the purple and the orange, we have walked through already in the book of Acts, okay? So if you, in those about, let's say, 37 weeks of doing that, right, we've been through three journeys of Paul. Where we're at right now is this red one, right? It's, it, you could call it a fourth journey. We're not going to call it a missionary journey, but, but it's, it's his fourth journey and his, his final one. That's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 21. Uh, the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. The same Luke that the gospel of Luke carries his name. And those really are two companion books. You have the gospel of Luke and you have the book of Acts. Part one in the gospel of Luke and then part two in the book of Acts. It's important to note that, that the questions they're answering are a little bit different, okay? Acts, the book of Acts written by Luke, is written to uh, a, a man named Theophilus. And, and it's, it's written answering the question, really, I believe Theophilus is asking and that the Holy Spirit is leading him to ask. And it's this question, how did the gospel, right, the one that's laid out in the gospel of Luke, spread worldwide in such a short period of time? How did this gospel pervade the, 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 the world in just a short amount of time by such a small amount of people? And we know if you've been journeying with us or you've read your Bible at all or read the book at all, you know how that has happened. And that's what Luke highlights in the book of Acts. That the reason it has spread like that is because it's not built on human design or strategy or really eloquent people or, 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 or political power or anything like that. It is built on what? It's built on the Holy Spirit coming and empowering people to do the work of the ministry, right? That's what happens. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the thesis for the whole book of Acts, right? And you should know it by now, right? This is Jesus before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection, right? It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what has been amazing in the book of Acts as we've journeyed over the last 50 or so weeks together is what has happened. We've seen that actually occur. And so now I hope you picked up as Teresa was reading or you have have it before you is where are we headed back to? Jesus says you 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 will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Your mission is what? To be my witnesses where? Jerusalem. The very first place, the very first place, the first place that the Holy Spirit fell and the church began, right, 
we're now seeing Paul wrestle with in going back to Jerusalem. So in December, when we walked through this, we left it in chapters 19 and 20. Paul is dead set on going to Jerusalem. He's headed there, right? Look at this in Acts chapter 19, verse, I believe it's 21. He says this, And Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Next verse. This is Acts chapter 20. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible. When? On the day of Pentecost. That's important. Okay, that's really important. And and then the next one. For now, behold, I am going, this is Paul speaking, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. And what does it mean by constrained? It's like nothing is going to stop me. Like the Holy Spirit has called me, he has told me, you get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost, all right? And it says, not knowing what will happen to me there, which is kind of funny because of the next line, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So Paul goes, I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem, but I know what's going to happen to me, right? What happens to me in every other city I go to? Opposition, persecution, imprisonment awaits me. But, he says, I'm still going. I'm constrained. I'm compelled. You see, the reason he has this date in mind, the day of Pentecost is important, is because this would have been a celebration where people from all over the world would have been in Jerusalem. Paul is a missionary. He wants more than anything to preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. And he's thinking in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, I have to get there because this has the potential to be like Acts 2.0, right? This has the potential to be that wildfire gospel spread again that he could preach and then these people scatter across the world. Now we come to Acts chapter 21. That's the backdrop. Do you sense any tension in Acts 21? I hope you do a little bit. And honestly, even as I approached this passage this week, I read it first, I read it through, and I'm like, okay, like, Lord, what? You ever do this in your Bible reading, right? You read it through again, and you're like, still got nothing, right? You read it again, right? I'm going to say like probably four or five times I read through, read through. And again, the stuff stuck out to me like Agabus tying the belt of Paul around his hands and feet. Like that one stuck out to me, okay? And we'll talk about that. But other than that, I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say here? Is this, is this simply a travel itinerary? Like is this just saying he went here and he saw here, he saw this people, you know, and, and ran into some problems? Like what are you saying? And anytime, anytime I run into something like that, and you should too as well, as you run into something like that in your scriptures, you need to ask, okay, Lord, What is unique about this passage? Like, is there something in this passage that is unique outside of just taking the belt and tying it around the hands? What what are you uniquely showing? Why would Luke, right, full of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, place this right here in the book of Acts? After what we just read in Acts chapter 19 and 20, why 21? Why this right here? And the more I ask that question, the more I begin to unpack it, the more I think we begin to see actually some deeply practical things about Acts 21. Some deeply profound things that the Spirit is doing. And the first one I want us to notice is this. And maybe you picked up on this. And if you've been with us in Acts, you'll be reminded of this. That I think Acts 21 shows us the vital nature 
of Christian friendship. The vital nature of Christian friendship. And now hear me. I don't want to major on a minor, okay? But I don't think this is a minor point in the book of Acts. I don't think that this is a minor point in the life of Paul. Constantly, even in spite of his urgency and his desperation to get to Jerusalem, we still see Paul taking time and pressing into relationships around him. Listen, the vitality and the vitalness, if you will, of Christian fellowship and community and friendship is what I'm calling is remarkable to observe, not just in Acts 21, but in the whole survey of the book of Acts. Constantly, Paul is surrounded by Christian friends as he does the work of God and what he's called him to. Paul travels with friends. He stays with friends. He visits them. He works alongside them. And here in Acts 21, we see it on display again in the latter part of Paul's journey. His friends, they talk together. They spend time together. They weep together. Did you, did you sense that? Did you sense the deep friendship that's taking place here in Acts 21? And no doubt they probably laugh together. In fact, in Acts 21, it says as they send Paul off, what happens? What are they doing around Paul? They're on the beach, on their knees, praying together. Weeping, seeking God. Right? So is, is this just maybe Paul's personality? Like he likes to be surrounded by people. Paul is this extreme extrovert, right? I, I don't know the answer to that question, okay? But that's probably not the case. You see, Paul understands something deeper. Paul understands that he has been created in the image of God, and we as humans are made for relationship and for community. That our God exists in a perfect triune relationship and we who are made by him in his likeness are built for friendships, right? Would anybody blame Paul at this point for wanting any alone time, right? He's headed to Jerusalem. The spirit has testified to him. Listen, this is probably what you're going to face. Like anybody else be like, hey, Paul, why don't you just like peel off and go enjoy the beach for a little bit, right? But what do we see Paul's impulse be? I need to get around those who love me. I want to get around my community. I want to get close with my friends. If I'm going to sustain in the call God has placed upon my life, it's not going to be alone. It's going to be in deep fellowship. Paul pursues fellowship. This soul-filling joy for Paul was to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that your impulse? Now, maybe not. And maybe not because you've tried it, Right? Maybe not because it's been less than easy, right? And how many of you know, like, relationships, they're not easy. Paul himself, I was looking through this in, in the book of Ephesians, right to, writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. This is what he says. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that Paul did not say, hey, hey, create the bond of unity, Hey, 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 make that bond. No, what does he say? Keep it. Preserve it. Here's the unique thing about Christian community and Christian friendship. There is a bond deeper than any other bond that binds us. You know that, right? That is the spirit of the living God inside of us. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you have to fight to work at it, to cultivate, to maintain the unity amongst yourself because he knows and he's acquainted with how difficult and how messy relationships actually are. And there's nothing, there's nothing the enemy would love more than to isolate Paul 
than to isolate you, than to isolate me. To bring division into relationships and to, 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 to destroy the preciousness of Christian friendships and community. That's the enemy's work. He longs to do that. And I think what we have seen in this section and others is that there's a really sacred nature to greetings biblically. You ever notice that in the Bible, how it talks about greeting one another? Even in a COVID season, I'm not telling you this, but like it talks about the extreme greeting of like, greet someone with a holy kiss. We don't do that, and that's okay, right? I remember we had, Tessa and I, when we were engaged, we were at a church in Missouri, and we were, just, we were door hosts, right? And uh, there was, a, there was this, this man who would, he, he literally uh, would, that, that was an actual thing for him, right? And he would greet me every time he came to church with a holy kiss. And, uh, and, and yeah, on the head, not on the lips, okay? We would have had conversation. Keep it up here. He would greet me. And I, you want to know, at first it was weird, right? At first it was weird and I'm like, bro, come on, you know? And then it was like, it became this act of like true Christian greeting. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not at all telling you to do that one another. But I'm telling you that the Bible speaks very highly of greetings. Maybe here's what it looks like for you. For him, that's what obedience meant. Hospitality. Do you remember how you were welcomed even in this, this house, if you will? Or maybe how you weren't welcomed? You want to talk about impulses of a Christian, here is the impulse of a Christian to be hospitable. In the household of faith, it's not looking and sitting in our chair going, well, they've got to come to me. The impulse of a Christian is, no, I'm going after them. No, I'm pursuing. No, I'm getting up. No, I'm greeting them. Not with a holy kiss, right? But I'm greeting them with a holy hello. With a love and affection. I'm glad you're here. Not disingenuous. Not phony. But real. But how about goodbyes? You see, there's something in Acts 21 that I think we can be very acquainted with, especially after last week. The sacredness of goodbyes. How hard it is to say goodbyes to those who we are in deep relationship with. Who are following the call of Jesus, right? And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, we commissioned and sent out our first uh, global or foreign missionaries, uh, Jake and Katie Stuns, last week. And we sent them away and we said that there was this joyful, sorrowful goodbye. And there were tears and there was heartache and there was pain, but there was also joy. Like, do you sense that in Acts 21 where they're kneeling and weeping together on the beach and they're praying as they're sending Paul away and saying goodbye? Paul, we don't know what's ahead for you. We believe that the Spirit has testified what's ahead to you. But goodbye. Think about the Ellis's over here last week who, especially in the 9 a.m., were just overcome by emotions sending away Jake and Katie. Why? Because they've walked together for years, training, equipping, but a deep love and friendship to say goodbye. You see, the Christian life in many ways is a series of goodbyes. If we're truly being a faithful community. And let me tell you, even here in this church, we're praying that there are going to be a lot more joyful, sorrowful goodbyes. Paul weeps in chapter 20 over the Ephesians. 
Listen, we need to be thoughtful as we say goodbye to people, not just sending foreign missionaries, but in our dealings, one to another even. I had a mentor once tell me, like, be careful how you end a service. It's one of the most awkward things to end, I'll be honest, to end a service up here. Like, hey, we just unpack God's word, move to spirit, go. And I hope what you've picked up on, even as, as any of us take this stage, at least what, 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 what I say almost every week, and for some of you, you heard it for nine years, so it's just kind of become routine for you, is go in the grace of Jesus Christ this week. I love you all. I love you all. And that's purposeful. That's not flippant. That's not just a, a, a religious routine that I go through. But, because here's why. There's no guarantee that I'm going to be back up here next week. There's no guarantee that I'm going to stand before you next week. There's no assumption that I'm going to stand before you next week and get the honor of unpacking the word of God. I say the same thing to my wife and to my kids and to my friends and maybe many of you as we maybe even end a meeting, I'll say something like, I love you, bro. I want to be careful with how I say goodbyes, right? You say, Kyle, be a little weird, maybe a little morbid. No, I'm being biblical. This is how people said goodbye. This is how people sent one another off. Right? So the, the vital nature of Christian friendship, the vital nature of Christian community. The second thing, and this is probably what st- stood out to you, is the surprising nature of Christian guidance in Acts 21. Right? So we see him staying with people. We see him... Uh, talking and praying and weeping, but woven in all of that is some of their guidance for Paul. Did you hear that? Did you see that in Acts 21? Paul, we know that the Spirit has impressed this upon you. Paul, we know that this has been said, but look at at verse 4. It says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. What? So he's staying with the disciples. He's staying with his closest friends. He's staying with brothers and sisters in Christ. However, what they are telling Paul is to not go to Jerusalem. It appears that the Holy Spirit is contradicting himself in this section versus the other sections we just read, right? How do we reconcile this? They say in the Spirit. Um, let me say this. The Holy Spirit's guidance, the Holy Spirit's guidance is infallible. Write that down. The Holy Spirit's guidance is infallible. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He does not change, right? It's not going, Paul received a message in Acts 19 and 20, and then here in 21, it's a different message. No, the Holy Spirit has not changed. However, the Holy Spirit chooses to speak through fallible human beings. The Holy Spirit and his guidance is infallible, but the Holy Spirit chooses to speak through human beings, you and me, and we are fallible, okay? You ever have a text message as a sender misinterpreted, right? I think that's why they created emojis and gifts. Now I can send like a dancing monkey just to clarify that I was joking, right? You know, it's God's grace to us. So they received from the Holy Spirit, Paul received from the Holy Spirit a message Go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, you will find persecutions. You will find beatings. You will find imprisonment. That's what could lie ahead for you suffering. 
the people hearing that word from the Holy Spirit, the infallible word, interpreted it wrongly. You hear me? In this passage, they interpreted it wrongly to go, listen, if that's what lies ahead for you, don't go. Don't go. Don't put yourself in that place. Don't put yourself in that position. You see, Paul understands undoubtedly what the Spirit has said to him. However, the people in this passage that I just read about, in the only place that I just read, is really where they say something contrary to the Spirit. The other two places where the Spirit is evoked and what he's saying is just affirming what Paul has already said. Okay? Agabus. Right? Where he takes the belt from Paul, right? And ties it around his hands and his feet. Very Old Testament prophetic word and picture. He simply says, whoever's belt, whoever owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to them in Jerusalem. Affirmation. Paul's like, that's what the Spirit said to me. The other place, it's where the Spirit affirmed that Paul should still go, but what lies ahead with him is not cupcakes and roses. However, How many of you have ever been in a place where what you felt the Holy Spirit leading you to do or saying to you was in conflict with Christian community or Christian friends around you? You ever been there? I think as we're pursuing Jesus, probably all of us have been there before. And I want to make this note. I am not dogging these people who said this. I'm I'm not talking negatively about them at all. I think they were trying honestly to hear from the Spirit and yield to it and tell Paul. And I think they love Paul deeply. However... They were misapplying what the Spirit said. They had a misunderstanding of even potentially the Scriptures. We could put it like this. Potentially, they were filtering the message of the Spirit that they heard through Paul through bad theology. Through bad theology. Let's suppose that the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Okay? Let's play this out a little bit. You feel that the Spirit of God is speaking to you. I use a personal example where we, in a subjective sense, sense that God was calling us to plant a church. We felt that. We felt his impression. We felt him calling and leading. You know what our next step was? Talk to those closest to us. Vet that with the people of God. And there was a process, an interview, an assessment process that we walked through to submit this to the community around us. Listen, that is biblical. All over the Proverbs talk about submitting things to the counsel of God before you. But in this case, Paul ignores the word of the community around him in this situation. Conflicting, right? Conflicting to what I know to be true. So is Paul just a maverick, right? And going to Jerusalem, is he just riding a donkey singing Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? All the way, you know? It's what I'm doing. No. And hear me. There's a very narrow window in which we reject the advice of the community. And we see it here with Paul, and we also see it with Christ. Paul was resolved to go to Jerusalem. Paul's face was pointed to Jerusalem. Who does that sound like if you know your scriptures? His Savior. Isaiah 50 talks about Jesus before 800 years before the Messiah comes. And he says, I have set my face like a flint toward Jerusalem. You see, there was one thing that Jerusalem meant for Jesus. One thing. Certain death. That's what Jerusalem held for Jesus. Paul knew what was held for him in Jerusalem. The same thing that was there for his Lord. Beating and rejections, but also the salvation of those who would hear the message of the gospel. 
Paul's companions, what do they say? Don't go, Paul. Don't go. Jesus' disciples, what did they say to him as he came into Jerusalem, as he was headed to Jerusalem, as he said, listen, guys, this is what I must do as I go into Jerusalem to suffer and to die. What did the disciples say to him? No, Jesus, not the son of God. You're the son of God. Oh, we want you to go to Jerusalem, but we, we want you to rise in power. Oh, we want you to go into Jerusalem, but not to die on a tree. And what did Jesus respond to Peter, the main one who said that? He said, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're not speaking with the heart of the spirit. You're speaking out of your eyes of flesh. The same thing is happening in Acts 21. They're going, Paul, you can't go. Listen to me. This is a very difficult situation. It's a situation maybe you have found yourself in, not with going for safety or comfortability, but where it's trying to discern the will of God with what's been spoken in your heart and what's being spoken around you. Here's what you must have. You must have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You must have a life that is yield to the lordship and surrender of King Jesus. You must have a sensitive ear to his spirit. You must have a sensitive heart to know this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to either press in or to draw back. You want to know when you can ignore the crowd? You can ignore the crowd and reject the voices when they are wrong biblically. That's when you can ignore the voices. You see, in this place, we understand and we see in Paul's life that he understood that following Jesus was about taking up his cross. And what the community around him was saying was, listen, don't suffer. Don't go to the place where you'll struggle. And that's a myth in the life of a believer. Safety and comfort are not the leading edges in our life. The spirit of the living God are. And Jesus says to his disciples and to us, suffering will happen. He says, in this life, you will suffer. And hear me, sometimes well-intentioned Christians, and I've probably been guilty of that many times, offer unspirit-led advice or counsel. Maybe well-intentioned Christians, maybe you even fall in that camp, you offer unbiblical advice or counsel to someone else. What I can tell you is you need to avoid the echo chamber of people where you just go to a certain group of people to hear what you want to hear so that you can respond the way you ultimately want to respond. Is that what Christ wants? Is that what he's calling you to do? The fact that God would not call us into places to suffer is a lie. This theology, this bad theology is pervasive in our modern church and in our modern thinking. God calls us into those hard places and those spaces Not to suffer just for hardship's sake, but to suffer so that we might know him more. So that we might see the complete joy that is found in him and him alone. That's why Paul is dead set. That's why Paul is willing to go, I am rejecting the voices of my beloved community because I know that the spirit has called me and compelled me to go to Jerusalem no matter what the cost is. I'll go. This thinking is pervasive in parenting. I'm a parent of three. I know this, right? No way God wants my kid to suffer, right? No way God wants my kid to sit on the bench. No way my kid wants them to get, no way God wants my kid to get a B minus in biology. So here's what I do. I take matters into my own hands 
and curate and fix and manipulate. See, this is the surprising way the Spirit guides us into places we wouldn't normally expect or go, right? And the last thing is this. I hope you've picked up on the powerful nature of Christian conviction. Like, does that not radiate from Paul? Even in these spaces of conflict and tension of people going, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul goes, I'm going. And I'm not just willing to go and suffer, he says. I'm willing to what? I'm willing to die. Look at it, verse 13. He says, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Are you trying to distract me from the mission God has called me to? I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know there's this affection. But here's the reality of what the leading edge for Paul is. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Woo! Why don't you read that over and over and over this week? Yeah, put me in prison. I'm willing to die for his name. I'm willing to die for his cause. Like, how do we get to that place in our lives? Like, how do we get to the place where we echo what Paul says earlier, to live as Christ, to die as gain? Like, where does that come from? Where does this kind of resolve, where does this kind of understanding and sensitivity to the spirit come from? Like if we had that as a community, listen to me, if you had that as a Christ follower, if we had that as a church, like what could derail us? Where we'd say, those things that we get worked up about, security, comfort, all of those things, they they pale. They don't matter when I hold up who Christ is. When I really see him for who he is and what he's calling me to. Like there's nothing that would stop us. There there would be nothing that could stop us in advancing the mission for Christ. Sometimes in in, in global missions, we we talk about closed countries, countries that are closed to the gospel. Like, and and, and that's always kind of messed with me a little bit. Because the reality is, we can get into any of those countries. The difficult part for us is that you don't always get out of those countries. Right? There's a very small chance of getting out of those countries. And we go, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Okay, now let's play this out a little bit. How about when your daughter comes to you and says, that's where Jesus is calling me? Uh, okay, yeah, well, well, hey, hey. I mean, Europe's nice. England needs Jesus. Frisco, they definitely need Jesus and you'd be close to home, honey, right? (laughs) So you're laughing, but you're processing. It's like last week, Tessa and I made the decision to have our seven-year-old daughter sit here on the front row and listen to Jake and Katie as they talked about how the Lord called them. Understanding that the Lord might move on her heart and call her into a place that the Ellis's listed last week that are closed. The hard places. Like Iraq, Jordan, Chad, the Sudan. 
oh, I thought we were just talking about like me, right? You. Now you're picking up a little bit of Paul's community. Paul, he says you might suffer or die for the name. And Paul says, I don't care. There's no one and nothing more valuable than Jesus. See, what I'm even trying to instill in my kids and I hope we're trying to instill in us as a community that there's actually something worse than dying. Hear me, look at me. And I'm not just talking in the global mission sense, right? In everyday sense, there's actually something worse than dying. And that is this, not living in obedience to Jesus Christ tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the following. And if he calls you to Jordan, and if he calls you to the Sudan, and if he calls you to Thailand, or if he calls you to Raytheon, or this school, or that school, it doesn't matter. Life is short, and we, as believers in Jesus Christ, do not want to waste one minute that we want to pour out ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. And what the Bible says, Mark chapter 8, in that we will actually find life. And this may involve risk, and it will involve hardship, but it's worth it. That we'd echo Paul in the previous chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where he says, I consider my life of no value to myself because here's my purpose, to finish my course, the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Listen, when we see Christ face to face in glory, we will not regret having followed him one day of our lives, not one minute Listen, following Jesus is costly. He says that over and over, but not following Jesus is far more costly. God, give us church planters and pastors and missionaries, but also business leaders and teachers and engineers and healthcare professionals and mothers and fathers and students who will go into school, who will be laughed at when their professors mock them or when their teachers or the students around them mock them for following Jesus with that kind of Holy Spirit resolve. One like Paul not manufactured by church services or enthusiasm, but one that is given to him because the Holy Spirit has filled him up. And Acts 1.8 is true that you will receive power when my spirit fills you. This week, um, and this is where I'll end because this is the prayer. I was reading a prayer and it had a line in it that said, steal our spines for your glory. And I'm like, I, I think I'd like literally grab my spine. I'm like, my fear is that even me, the spirit hasn't steeled my spine, but it's one that is still wobbly and weak, right? Cowering to the fear of man and the approval of others. Right, what, I, what I've said a lot in this series is that the church in the East fears the raised fist, right? Where Jake and Katie are, they fear the raised fist. Church in the West, what we fear most is the raised brow. My spine feels that. I cower, I cave. I wonder, I doubt. And so my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit through even Acts 21, through our community and our friendship and the Holy Spirit's unusual guidance would give us a deep conviction, would steal our spine in this culture, in this day, in this age for the glory of God.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, the full counsel of your word that shapes, corrects, convicts, that leads us, that beckons us, that draws us. Those of us who are so weak and so feeble, those who struggle more than we obey. You beckon us to yourself. You beckon us to that gospel well to drink deeply of your grace and your mercy. Not in our self-effort, in our earning, but because you've allowed us to through your son that through him we have been given your Holy Spirit. We've been given that spirit that you said to your disciples, you'll do greater things than I. Lord, but we have been guilty. We've been guilty of being passive. We've been guilty of being consumers and not participants in your kingdom. We're guilty of idly sitting by rather than joining in the joy of participation, feeling the constraining voice of the Spirit, resolving in our hearts to be obedient to you in your lordship, in your kingship, Jesus. And we've exchanged that for our own little kingdoms. We've exchanged that for our personal ideas. Oh Lord, forgive us. Give us a bigger vision. Give us a bigger heart to participate in your kingdom. Give us faith to walk as Paul did. To say, who cares if I suffer? I count this life as loss if only to press on toward King Jesus. May we have that attitude in every day of our lives. In our coming and in our going. In our working, in our parenting, in our marriages, in our relationships. Holy Spirit, we want to be sensitive to your voice. We want to hear you. We want to hear the impression that you're making upon our hearts and our minds. We want our community to affirm it. We want our friends to join with us in weeping and celebrating. We want your guidance more than we acknowledge. And God, whatever that takes us, wherever that takes us, we can be confident that you are there with us. That there is joy and there is life found in spite of our circumstance. Oh God, I pray that you would steal the spine of the Parks Church. Us individually and us corporately for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.